Hello, this is Steve Bailey, and I would like to welcome you to the premiere episode of Laughing Gas, a Charlie Chaplin podcast. Now, first off, I'd like to explain a couple of sources that I am ripping off for this podcast, or seemingly ripping off anyway. If you're a hardcore Charlie Chaplin buff, you probably recognize that music. That is the theme song that Chaplin wrote in 1970 for his feature film, The Kid. And that particular rendition of it was Carl Davis's version from the magnificent 1983 documentary, Unknown Chaplin, which I highly recommend. I didn't know what else to, I know there are plenty of Chaplin music sources out there, but I wanted to get something that would immediately identify with him. And I immediately identified with that the first time I saw it. I darn near cried when I heard it. So that is what I'm using for my theme. I'm not trying to rip anybody off. I give Carl Davis full and Charles Chaplin full credit for that beautiful music. Secondly, I just came off of another podcast that I had created, which was Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. I finished that one, and as soon as I was done with the last episode, I already missed podcasting. So I tried to think of all the comedians that I really enjoy from the 30, 20s and 30s and 40s. I love the Marx Brothers, but that is already being well covered in a podcast called the Marx Brothers Council Podcast which I highly recommend listening to. It's available on YouTube and other sources. Uh, three well, three uh, mar Marxologists, I guess you would call them, uh, very steeped in Marx Brothers knowledge, uh, do a very good job on that. I also adore Buster Keaton, but there was recently a Buster Keaton podcast done by a couple of gentlemen from the Keaton Appreciation Society, and that podcast was called Talking Buster Keaton. Uh, that is available I know they have a Facebook page. I couldn't tell you where else it is but or exactly what the source is, but their episodes are posted. Also, another magnificent podcast. So what I'm trying to say is I didn't want to rip anybody off. And so I started plotting out this Chaplin podcast, and then I looked online, and I realized that there's somebody already doing a Chaplin podcast. So please let me make it clear. I'm not trying to rip anybody off, and I'm least of all the people who are doing the Chaplin podcast. I've for, I had forgotten that, but I had listened to a couple, of their, a couple of their episodes previously, and they do a fine job as well. And they can be found on Facebook at Modern Times, a podcast for Charlie Chaplin fans. So uh, long story short, I'm trying not to rip anybody off. I'm not ripping off any of their formulas. I'm doing it completely my own way. Just wanting to establish the love that I have for Charlie Chaplin's movies uh, by all means, don't take me as the only source. Please listen to all those other podcasts that I mentioned. They're all very nicely done, but I hope you will listen to mine as well. Now, <clears throat> sorry for being long-winded, but uh, have a few things to cover before I actually get to his movies. First off, I'd like to mention this podcast's reason for being. I am a Florida freelance movie reviewer with an inclination toward the comedy classics. 
Now, I wish I could make the lofty claim that I came upon Chaplin's work while out working on a master's in film at USC or something like that. Truth is, I was 10 years old when I first saw some of Chaplin's silent shorts at Shakey's Pizza. Remember that? Now, from those humble origins came my lifelong admiration for Chaplin's immortal tramp character and his seemingly endless sense of invention and innovation for gags and storylines. I pity those who find silent film unbearable. The secrets of a long-ago language can hold many pleasant surprises. I'd also like to address Chaplin's growth. <clears throat> it's long been held as a truth that Chaplin started out making gags for gags' sake and then gradually developed into a full-fledged filmmaker, fleshing out plausible storylines and meshing comedy and drama when critics said it couldn't be done. All of Chaplin's periods, from his time at Keystone to SNA and Mutual and First National and United Artists, are all worth watching. But if at all possible, watch Chaplin's work in chronological order, as I will address it on this podcast, and you will indeed be surprised and gratified to view a movie artist's growth before your eyes. And the most convincing evidence that Chaplin and his on-screen character evolved and refined themselves is that the Charlie of, say, 1925 probably wouldn't have wanted a thing to do with the Charlie of 1914. Now, I certainly praise Chaplin in, in the future episodes of this podcast. Do I criticize him? Do I? As much as I adore Chaplin's work, not everything he did met his own high standard. I recommend you watch any Chaplin you can get your hands on and draw your own conclusions, but see if eventually you do not agree with it. Some of my upcoming reviews might seem overly critical, but I think it does Chaplin a disservice to laud his weaker movies as much as his good ones. In his wonderful book, Adventures in the Screen Trade, Screenwriter William Goldman lambasts auteur theorists who believe that, quote, any Chaplin film, even shit Chaplin, is terrific. And he says, I wish them all a very long life on a desert island with nothing but a countess from Hong Kong for company. Uh, finally, I would like to address the uh, decades-long debate of Charlie Chaplin versus Buster Keaton. Ever since I was a kid, I have been listening to this ridiculous debate. Which comic is funnier, less sentimental, more artistic, etc.? As though great movie comics are so plentiful that we must compare apples to oranges. For the final word on this subject, I have two quotes. The first one is from uh, critic and writer Walter Kerr from his 1975 book, The Silent Clowns. Kerr said, Keaton has been hailed here and there not only as Chaplin's equal, but as Chaplin's superior. This, I think, is waste effort, a misreading of Keaton's very values. Let Chaplin be king, and Keaton the court jester. The king effectively rules, the jester tells the truth. My second quote is from Susan Sontag on a completely different subject, so it might seem irrelevant. However, in Sontag's quote, replace the doors and Dostoevsky with Keaton and Chaplin, and you'll see what I mean. In 1996, Susan Sontag wrote, If I had to choose between the doors and Dostoevsky, then of course I'd choose Dostoevsky. But do I have to choose? So that's my take on that. I will, as I say, address Chaplin's movies individually and try to do it in chronological order. So let us start with his very film debut from 1914, Making a Living. Now, hindsight, of course, has its rewards. Nevertheless, cinephiles can be grateful that Chaplin took kid auto races at Venice as his template from which to build, rather than this first film. For one thing, while Chaplin's tramp character is iconic and instantly identifiable in more than one sense, the dandy who Chaplin plays in making a living is just this side of androgynous. In his fey carriage and not quite trampy body language, Chaplin here looks like a 70 years removed version of future rock star Prince. 
Furthermore, the main storyline, Chaplain Finagle's a job as a newspaper reporter, does not even raise its head until about one-third of the way through the movie, and this is only a one-reeler. It starts off with Chaplin first hustling a dollar from a man on the street, played by Henry Lehrman, who also directed the movie. Then Chaplin hits, rather crudely, upon a woman, who shortly after turns out to be Lehrman's girl. This results in a brawl between the two men, whose moves mostly consist of Lehrman grinding his hand into Chaplin's face. Lehrman must have thought this was a real laugh-getter. That's about all he does to Chaplin in Kid Auto Races at Venice. And also, Chaplin trying to best Lehrman by wrapping his legs around him in a move just short of homoerotic. And if that sounds too explicit, watch the movie and see if you don't agree. Then Chaplin sees a sign for a local reporter wanted and tries to get the job before getting kicked out of the office, where, conveniently, Lehrman is already employed as a reporter. Lehrman happens upon a car wreck and immediately takes pictures and interviews the driver. Chaplin happens upon the whole thing secondhand, grabs Lehrman's camera and notes, rushes back to the newspaper office, and gets a job on the basis of this scoop. Lehrman tries to stop Chaplin, but fails. The two tangle up again, this time next to a streetcar, named Desire, perhaps, and the movie fades out before we can read anything else Freudian into it. There are a couple of all-too-brief moments that hint at the greatness that is to come a bit where Chaplin backs away from someone he has outraged and then does his harmless little me coy face, another bit where he continually slaps the knee of the editor for emphasis, and when the editor moves his knee away, moves the knee back into position so he can slap it again. The rest of Chaplin's work here relies on the same frenetic pacing of every other Senate Keystone comedy. In a pseudo-epigram much quoted since, the publication Moving Picture World described Chaplin as a comedian of the first water based on his debut movie performance. But it would be his second movie where Chaplin would truly end up getting his feet wet. And let me address that movie now. That is Kid Auto Races at Venice. If you are any sort of Chaplin buff, you probably know that this movie came about because, again, Keystone producer Max Sennett often had his cameraman and cast go to a live event and film anything funny that might transpire. So it was when Chaplin, the Keystone newcomer, was told to wear a funny costume and attend a kid's car race in Venice, California. What you might not know is this, this was not actually the first film in which Chaplin wore his now iconic tramp outfit, just the first such film that was released. Chaplin had actually devised the costume for the short subject Mabel's Strange Predicament, which was filmed earlier than Kid Auto Races, but was released two days after it. But because this is the Chaplin Buff's version of believing in Santa Claus, we'll let it slide. Now, to get down to cases. Chaplin always claimed that he knew the Tramp character as soon as he got the costume together and put it on, and according to his My Autobiography, Chaplin instantly regaled Senate with an on-the-spot character analysis of the Tramp before the camera rolled on the character for the first time. That's the stuff that legends are made of, and like most legends, one has to wonder how much of it is true. Nevertheless, even in the muddy-looking copies of Kid Auto Races in Venice that still circulate, there's something about that crazy little character that makes you bob your head up in delight. In my humble opinion, that something is this. He's in control, right from the start. Look closely at the very first shot of the tramp. He's not just trying to get on camera, he's directing. His body language says, Oh, am I supposed to go off to the right? Very well, then. As though he's actually supposed to be on camera. And a few dozen headbutts from director Henley Lehrman, the actual and on-screen director of the short, aren't going to keep the tramp from getting his moment of glory. 
From then on, the tramp uses any kind of cheap rationalization at hand to get his face on screen, acting as though he's a car in the race, my favorite moment in the movie, accidentally dropping his hat, and astonishing bystanders, excuse me, admonishing bystanders for offenses not nearly offensive as his own. And of course, Lehrman wins the battle, but loses the war. The final shot in which the tramp sneers and snoots at the camera lens as if to declare victory is a perfect symbol for the career to come. Not too long after this short was made, most of the world was made to pay attention to this man and realize that he was not just another tramp. So that is my premiere episode of Laughing Gas. I hope you will stay tuned. I will shortly have many venues where you can listen to this, and I will have those posted shortly. In the meantime, uh, please go to Anchor FM and look up Laughing Gas, and you should be able to find it. Also, I currently, before, actually before I started this podcast, for many years I have had a Facebook page devoted to Chaplin, and that is titled Another Charlie Chaplin Facebook Page. So please look that up on Facebook and join it if you please. And I will keep you and all the other people on that Facebook page informed of this and future podcasts. Lastly, I adore feedback. I love knowing that at least people are listening to the podcast. So if you have anything to say about this premiere episode, good, bad, or neutral, I invite you to email me. My email address for this podcast is laughinggaspodcast, all one word, laughinggaspodcast at outlook.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. You will continue to listen. Uh, I will certainly continue to offer my uh, flamboyant opinions about Mr. Chaplin's wonderful movies. And please know that they are all done with a touch of love. Until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye. (laughs) 